Praise the Lord. I would have you turn your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 35. John, chapter 1. verse 35 and we'll read verse 36 as well and just for a title of the day's message I will just say behold the lamb of God behold the lamb of God and I'm reading in the ESV. And I apologize for the scripture verses not being up there. I'll own that. I did not turn in my scripture verses. So uh, it's not the uh, multimedia booth's fault at all. It's, it's the pastor's fault. And it reads, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. That was not something that was common knowledge. That was not something that he knew. That was inspirational revelation given to him by God the Father. As he saw Jesus coming in that moment, it was revealed to him that is the Lamb of God. Before a cross was ever involved, before the days of his passion, or the days of his crucifixion, John knew by revelation of, of Father God. Prophetically, this is the Lamb of God. And, it, and I want to tie it back to Exodus uh, chapter 12. You don't have to go there, but I will just re, re, recount the story so as not to, uh, you know, take too long. But you all are, most of you are familiar with the Israelites being in bondage to the Egyptians. And God called on Moses to go confront Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh resisted. And there were judgments after judgments, curses after curses in order to make Pharaoh bow to God's power and release his people. And the final the final judgment against Pharaoh was the loss of the firstborn. And God was going to send the destroying angel to kill the firstborn of everyone. But before he did so, he commanded the Israelites to do something that would later be called the Passover. He said, I want you all, each and every family represented here, you're going to take a one-year-old lamb. It can be a sheep, a one-year-old kid from a goat or, or a lamb. I want you to slaughter that lamb. And I want you to sprinkle the blood of that lamb on the doorpost and the lintel. You know, Scripture says without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin, right? So I want you to take a precious lamb. That's, that, that, that lamb was flawless. 
Those lambs were innocent. And yet God said, I want each and every family to slaughter a lamb. I want you all to roast that lamb and consume it. Leave nothing to the next day. And I want you to put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost and the lentil. And when, the, and when it comes to pass, when the destroying angel will come in obedience to me to take all the firstborn, if he sees the blood on the doorpost, he will pass by your home. And in that story, it was a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God that was to come. But in that story, the Lamb that was slaughtered sufficed for just a family. Right? Oh, trust me, it's right. (laughs) Not to belittle it, but it was for a family. And, and after that, the destroying angel did what God commanded him to do. Pharaoh bowed the knee and allowed the children of Israel to leave. But God's judgment passed over them because of the lamb, because of the life and blood of the lamb. Are you hearing me? And with that historical backdrop, John is declaring, oh, my goodness, here is the Lamb of God that's going to come and take the sins of the world. Amen? That's going to make God's eternal judgment pass over you. Are you hearing me? You know, oftentimes we think about the cross on a special day like Easter. But how many of you know that this cross should be on our hearts daily? And it made me think about Jesus as lamb, innocent. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Innocent lamb, slaughtered for the sins of the people. But then it made me think about the weightiness and seriousness of sin. You think about that from the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell. When they disobeyed God and they fell to the temptation of Satan, what was required in their redemption? It cost a life in the blood. Wasn't the lamb slaughtered? Bloodshed and well, I just want to say it was instituted there from the very beginning. You see that there are consequences, consequences 
to sin. And I, and I just want to appeal to your hearts today. You know, let, let's not take that for granted. You know, oftentimes we can say, oh man, our first one, first John 1 9, that thing, and I'm good, and then go to sleep. And I, I'm not here to make you feel bad, really. I, 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 I'm here to just make you consider the seriousness and weightiness of sin. The destructive nature of sin kills, steals, destroys. Because if we can understand that, then we can understand to a greater degree the price that Christ paid. Significance of the cross. Are you hearing me? I want you to go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. There's a reason why I just touched. There's so much I could have covered concerning the Passover, but I just wanted to connect dots. The Passover in Exodus 12, and here we come in Matthew chapter 26. Uh, starting at the 17th verse. And it says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now, I'll continue on to verse 30, but I want to just consider that for a moment. That that backdrop, that drama. Here we are, they're about to partake of the Passover. They're preparing for this. And we know the significance of the Passover from the moment God delivered them out of bondage to Egypt. And on the eve of this, Jesus is preparing to fellowship with his disciples, his last supper, before he pays the penalty for our sin. Consider for a moment. He knows what's on the cusp of happening. He's got to deal with that in his mind and his emotions. He knows that there is a traitor among him, a betrayer that's going to be the person responsible for setting all of that in motion. One of the people he should have trusted the most. 
is there with him in this intimate time. It's almost like a soap soap opera drama when you really think about it. And I I only know because my mom and aunts forced me to watch that stuff when I was young. We had one TV. I knew the character storylines. It was pathetic, but... But there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of heaviness going on. And Jesus is at peace before before the Father on the cusp of him being on the verge of doing what he was born to do. Now, I know normally we have this message and we do this on Easter, you know, and we are celebrating the birth of Christ, but you can't one can't have one without the other, right? Because he was born the Lamb of God. That's not something he became. That's something who he was born. Amen? And on this evening, with that backdrop, he's about to do for us eternally what lambs of God did for the families in Israel on the Passover. There's a price to be paid for sin. He's about to pay that price. Verse 26 says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had drink, given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you. In my father's kingdom. Man, that just made me shout hallelujah. You know, after all of this heaviness, he said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Can you imagine partaking of the Lord's Supper with him in his presence in the kingdom of God? Can you imagine that? Well, before we get into the holy observance of communion, at the Lord's table, I want to point out four things that are given to us, a few things that are given to us through the cross. First Peter one eighteen. First Peter one eighteen. 
says this. Knowing that you were ransomed or redeemed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So through the cross, we have redemption. Amen? Genesis 3.20 says this. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. I am, I am sorry. I will say this. Garments of skins and clothed them. And that is reconciliation. All right. We have redemption. We have reconciliation. Romans 5, 8 and 9 tells us we have justification. Romans 5, 8, and 9. I'll go ahead and read it. It says, But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, say justified, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Hallelujah. And finally, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. Yeah, I'll just do verse 12. And it says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify, say sanctify, to sanctify the people through his own blood. So we have sanctification. Now, that work of sanctification is an ongoing work. All right? He died for sin once. He redeemed us once. Reconciled us once. Right? Justified us. You are justified. You are secure in that, in the Lord. Amen? But there is also an ongoing work of sanctification. Hmm? Yes, continual cleansing. And you know what? Let's look at 1 John chapter 1 for a second before we go on. And George? Oh. Can you, can you give them a heads up so they can go ahead and start coming? 
I believe I said, let's go ahead and go to 1 John 1. I'll actually start in verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, say the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now he's not talking to unbelievers here. All right. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? And that's part of that. That's that continual cleansing, continual sanctification process that we own it. That we confess our sins before God. That is, that we recognize the weightiness and heaviness of our sin before him, but we recognize also the debt that he has paid in redeeming us, in justifying us, amen, in reconciling us, and his continual work in sanctifying us, amen? So I want you to be encouraged, you know. Sometimes we do have to deal with Be honest about the ugliness of sin. Because acknowledging sin in its full ugliness helps bring the life to us, the beauty of the salvation of the Lord in his fullness. Amen? Jesus Behold the Lamb of God who would be broken battered torn to pieces blood shed life taken and you know what he willingly allowed it to take place because that's how much he loved us amen and I don't know if if there's anyone here today who isn't a believer I hope your heart is stirring right now. This Jesus, this Lamb of God, the one who allowed himself to be the sacrifice of our sins, the one who became the redemption of us all, our Lord and Savior, did it because he loves you. He's the Lamb of God for you. Church is much more than rules and regulations. It's it's, it's not religion. 
It is relationship. With the one who died for you. To redeem you from bondage to Satan, sin, and death. But he rose again as king. Hallelujah. He rose again for our justification. And and because he lives, can you finish it? So I'm, George, are we ready yet? Are they still falling? They're coming? I'm going to ask you all to stand. And parents, uh, keep ahead. Be alert. And those double doors right there that George just exited out of for your children to arrive. And you know, I talked about the weightiness, the heaviness of sin. I'm just going to give, I want you to close your eyes. You know what? I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm starting to see them come now. So parents can't get your kids if your eyes are closed. So, <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> so parents, why don't you guys go ahead and make your way to the double doors here to my right. Go ahead and get your children and, and, and go back to your seats and then we'll get started. I know this is a little, little bit different the way we're doing it. But I want us, I, I, I didn't want communion to be a, have that feeling of just being a, an add-on or a tag-along at the end of the service. I wanted it to be the centerpiece of the service. And I didn't want us to be segmented. I wanted those who are working and I, I wanted them to be a part of this and I wanted families to be together. Amen.